Nando's. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. These Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Hunter Muscaro, Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nothing spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. What's your name, man? I told you it doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff, and you still have no talent. It's Sandos in the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. No matter if you like ripping the band-aid off or slow peeling, here we are. Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher. Another edition of Santos Sidekick. Busy day this Monday. We're going to recap ETSU versus the Citadel. We'll hear from head coach Randy Sanders. We'll recap the men's exhibition game from Friday against Limestone. And we're going to preview the big matchup, the women's season opener. Tennessee comes to town to take on Brittany Zell and the women's basketball program. So a lot to talk about. We'll start with the gridiron. And, you know, they say a game of inches or a yard. Either way, ETSU one yard short of taking a lead with a minute and some change left. Yeah, and it was a little Tennessee Titans-esque from 2001, 2002, was it? And that Super Bowl one yard short, obviously not quite as big of a stage. And ETSU, I think for them, though, every game right now, the rest of the way is a semi-Super Bowl, quote-unquote, right? You don't want to go and have a winless season, especially those seniors that want to have a winless season in the Southern Conference in your senior year. Or you don't want to just be involved in one of those at all, no matter what part of the program you're in whether it's all the way from the guys pouring the water all the way up to the head coach and we'll hear from coach Sanders on that in just a few moments but confused about why there was no running play on the first and goal second and goal third and goal fourth and goal late Um, we did get some answers on that from coach Sanders that will run on Wednesday in the first segment from his weekly press conference that we usually do on Wednesdays so that was a little bit confusing, um, but we say that, and it also was about 18 inches from working and being ultimately the go-ahead touchdown and what at that point I think you'd have to say, regardless of how Citadel threw the ball, which, again, was very good, and we kind of warned about that going into the contest, that this is the best Citadel passing game really in the last decade or so, and it showed up at big points during the game. Regardless of that, though, I still think ETSC would have been the heavy favorite at that point getting the touchdown, getting the extra point to win that ball game and get their first conference win. As it is, Citadel now moves to 4-2 and two in the league, 6-4 and four overall, and their playoff hopes are still alive. Still alive and kicking for sure. I think you look at it, and it, we talk about four or five plays every game. You look at a key holding penalty in the fourth uh, quarter that brought back a big run by Jacob Sailors. You look at uh, another drop pass, ETSU receiving core. Mm. You look at... Uh, you know, a blown assignment, uh, the first one of the game, and a huge moment. If you look at just not getting into the end zone, uh, and really twice, and first and goal, 
uh, what was it at the nine one time and didn't get in, kicked a field goal, and then of course first and goal at the six, four downs where you have to score, not able to do so. Two kickoffs out of bounds again yeah. that led to field position and immediate scores. I mean, you just look. I mean, there, there's if two of those plays, maybe just one of those plays, I guess the last the last play, but but if you look at two of those plays changing, ETSU maybe in a position to route Citadel as opposed to to not. Uh, doing that but I, I thought offense was the best it has looked and Citadel was was very confused uh, it seemed like early in the game CTSU kind of came out throwing and then all of a sudden it was just hit you in the mouth run game and Quay Holmes and Jacob Sailors had some big holes to go through but give them credit there were a couple of times where somebody did get free they made the first guy miss and then picked up huge chunks of yards this was very 2018 tail end of the season ETSU offense, I felt like, where it really started to get rolling and it could throw the ball. And it was running the ball really well. And guys were making plays in the passing game. And maybe we didn't have the 143-yard receiver last year at the end of the year that Will Huzzy was this year in this game against Citadel. But, I mean, you look at the stat line, and 204, three touchdowns for Trey Mitchell. Quay Holmes and Jacob Sailors combining for over 200 yards on the ground. Again, Sailors last year averaged almost eight yards per carry, so 10 carries could have got him to 80 last year, and Quay Holmes was always a threat to go over 100 last year. So those two are on top of their game. The offensive line, and Coach Sanders said it today in his press conference, that he really thought the game plan going in to attack that Citadel front seven, and we warned about it going into the game that that was going to be probably the most difficult part of Citadel's defense to defeat and really ETSU owned them most of the day to the 2 to 5.7 per carry and Quay Holmes and Jacob Sailors combining for those 205 so the fact that they were able to do that and throw the ball on Citadel's secondary which is something we said they probably would be able to do that ended up being the case and you still come out on the wrong end of it I 100% agree with you it felt like the best that the Bucks offense has been and I wanted to say post game that it's the best ETSU has maybe looked all together on every facet of the game the entire year, but then you do remember the two kickoffs out of bounds, and you do see the, as you said, a blown assignment, 73-yard completion, Raleigh Webb, who's always a big play threat, and Rainey to Webb is something that time and again has worked. It worked again. So maybe not fair to say it's the best, most complete game they put together, but I think it may be as close as they've come to putting a full game together this year because the offense was so good. And you look at the best defensive performance, that was Furman, and the offense didn't do much that day. And you look at the defense and who all did not play. Jared Folks didn't go, right? Blake Bockworth, a late scratch. Came in Cody, a late oh. scratch. You couldn't play the first half without Nasir Player. Um, late in the game, no Tyree Robinson. And still ETSU. Ravaged by I mean, just Ravaged. Just still hanging in there doing what they do. And you know, I feel like there's a lot of times the last year it was ETSU coming from behind those epic fourth quarters. This year it's almost like ETSU has been in command a lot, but just not able to sort of step on somebody's throat. You know, just, just kind of put a team away. And there was a couple of opportunities where the Bucks ended up not scoring, ended up punting twice. And for various reasons in the fourth quarter, they had to punt twice. But any one of those score and you just felt like Citadel didn't have enough time to continue to try to match the scores. Uh, and that's really what it felt like. And, and this year, it feels that way. Last year, it was almost like you booked it. ETSU was going to be down one or two scores in the fourth quarter. They're going to come back. It's not really been that way. It's either been a tie ball game or ETSU has been up. 
and they just can't do I'm mean, even going back to the VMI game. Up three, miss a chance uh, to go up six. You know, the next week they figured it out. You're going, okay, here we go. The, 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 maybe they've turned that corner. And then you, you look at Furman, fourth quarter, tie game, Hail Mary-esque uh, slip fall reception, whatever it was. Right. Technically, I was like last play, third quarter. But it, going into the fourth, still tied. I mean, you, you look at it, uh, even Wofford, you know, they, they four, uh, third and, what was it, third and three, didn't get it, forced a punt, and all of a sudden couldn't stop a third and three, and then they, it goes the other way. I mean, just uh, you look at it all year long. Sanford in the first half looked like ETSU would put two more scores on the board. I'm telling you, Sanford would have quit. I mean, they, they just did not want to be there. Sanford does not like playing in bad weather, cold weather. I mean, there's all these opportunities, and it just for whatever reason, maybe all the, the karma's gone for, for last year's deal, and maybe just resets for this year coming up. What made it more frustrating was you did the one thing you hadn't done the entire conference season. You got on the board early. You hit the big play to Will Huzzy that was a great catch, you know, kind of bobbled it a bit and found a way to hold on and then goes the difference, so or goes the distance, I should say. You get that, and then, okay, Citadel comes back down, but you're still moving the ball. You're still putting pressure on Citadel's defense. You get the field goal late in the first quarter. Ten points in the first quarter in a conference game after having no conference points in the first quarter of the entire year, or was it three? I think maybe it was three because there was 20 going into the game. It was. Yeah, three. so you had three. Or or was it none and it was three against Austin P because it was 17 against Shorter. I think it was three against Austin P. So none. And then you get 10 and you're up 13 to seven. As you mentioned, probably some missed opportunities there on those drives that ended in field goals to go and punch it in. And still not letting off the gas. In the second half, you have a 10 point lead two different times and just so frustrating. And like you said, the defense, and this is where I 100% agree with Randy Sanders. Uh, every time he says it, and I know it probably gets old to hear, especially when the wins aren't coming, and he even says it himself. He probably sounds like a broken record, but the guys that were out there just battled and competed. Elijah Pinkleton isn't a guy that we talked about at all, at all going into the game on Saturday. We talked about how it was going to be a three-man rotation without this year player in that first half. It was probably going to be Cody, Madua Fakwa, and Rowan on the defensive line pretty much the entire half, and we didn't know who the fourth body was going to be. Well, Cody's a late scratch. Pinkleton plays a ton, nine tackles to lead the team, five of them solo and a tackle for a loss. I mean, that's phenomenal, especially considering what was asked of him so late in, uh, quote-unquote, the game, late in the game, before the game. Uh, he was a last-second addition in terms of getting more playing time and just steps up. Colton Lakes looked good again. Tyree Robinson, you mentioned, as uh, the game went along, he was missing some time there towards the end of it. And you, if you name the people, look at preseason. And if we were sitting here eight weeks later and you would have told us, before the Appalachian State game, that you'd be missing Tyree Robinson, Jared Folks, Nasir Player, at different points of one game defensively, you would have said, yikes, Blake Bachrath for most of it. You know, that's like four of your top five, if not four of your top four defensive players, depending on how you want to rank them. And so to hold Citadel to 31, and I know it's still a big number, but until you get to that fourth quarter, it was 27 to 17. I just or 20 to 17 and then you add the touchdown in the fourth to make it 27 to 17 I don't know if there's much more the defense can do in that situation considering how thin they were at different points in the game and as coach Sanders said after the contest finding ways to not win because they're still battling still competing they're not giving games away it's not like they're finding ways to lose and just fumbling the game back to you know teams like the Citadel but a 73 yard pass over the top I mean half their throwing yards that Citadel had the entire day so incredible it is just incredible and 
I was going to bring this up in the press conference, but it's obviously not funny for those on the inside. But I sat back when that touchdown went from Rainey to Webb for 73 yards, the go-ahead and ultimately winning score, and I literally laughed out loud in the studio because it is comical the ways that these things are happening. It's like just when you think you've seen it all, something else happens, and you have to sit back and laugh through the frustration because it is so frustrating not only for the guys on the inside but fans and then you see something like that it's like wow you feel like you're just inventing ways yeah (laughs) just it's like well well we've kind of lost every gut-wrenching way so surely we we can't lose another one by a different route and if you can't laugh at it you're going to drive yourself crazy you know so you have to just sit back i mean same thing it was laughing last year exactly i mean we we left a lot of the the places where etsu won going what just happened How how do we win that now you're doing the opposite you're leaving there going what what in the world just happened how do we not win that and very, very for, for on on every front it, it is very frustrating and and comical if you see where mike's coming from there uh on just how exactly it did i did find it interesting that coach sanders knew all those stats and won the coin toss and said we want the ball first and did not want to give his team a chance to get down. He wanted to try, number one, he limited posi- uh, possessions anyways. I loved it. But to get off to a good start, and they did. They, it was an outstanding route. And watching that again, I mean, Mitchell stood in there and took a pretty good shot uh, when he threw it. And for some reason, when I saw it live, I thought it was actually a little behind. It actually was not behind. Uh, I mean, it might have been a little too ar- too high and out in front. But, again, if you go back and look at Mitchell getting hit as he's throwing the football, I mean, it ended up being a good job. And Huzzy, tremendous concentration. And I don't think you can say enough good things about what Huzzy was able to do with those seven catches. I mean, that jump ball late uh, as well to get the Bucks right down Man-sized the Man-sized catch. So that, there was a lot going on um, for ETSU. Spagnoletti's catch into the sun. Uh, again, watching that replay was quite incredible. Impressive, yeah. And I just want to go over this. I, if I'm Juwan Martin and coach calls a pass play where I'm not going to catch a touchdown, I just tell him put somebody else in. Three for three, That's baby. right. Just coach, if you're gonna if you're gonna throw me the football right now, I would like to end my career twelve for twelve. I, I don't I don't even want to catch one. Uh, maybe may a fourth down play where it's a, a game changer. But other than that, coach, just call it around the goal line. Uh, other than that, I'll block whatever you want. Third down, six for twelve too. I, I mean, I'm just looking at all the things at ETSU where they haven't excelled this year. Even penalties, they were averaging like seventy yards per game coming in. Five for forty seven. As you mentioned, there was an ill timed one with the holding late, but. Six for 12, 50% on third down. That's like 20% better than ETSU's been the entire year. And um, red zone, four for five, you know, although Citadel, and this is the bad part defensively, four for four. Again, uh, the Bucks still kind of struggling in that area, but they have gotten a couple of stops lately. So, yeah, throwing the ball just a lot better and getting back to that running game that really bruises opponents. And just doubling up on that, you look at the four for four, three of those touchdowns for the Citadel. ETSU five trips, four scores, but two of those are touchdowns. And again, teams are just out. To, I mean, Citadel leads the league in touchdowns scored in the red zone, not overall, but in the red zone, they lead the league in touchdowns. And ETSU's thirty-two, dead, is, right, coming into yes, or coming into Saturday? and ETSU's dead last in touchdowns. So you got to, and that was a problem last year. That's not just a this year problem. That was a last year punching those in for six, seven points. And so uh, if they can continue to do that and get touchdowns. I think that's where they turn the corner, whether it's the end of this year or next year. When those start getting about 75% touchdowns in the red zone, then I think wins will be very easy in ETSU favor. Time of possession, too. 31-13 to 28-47, and you're on 10 more offensive plays. 19, uh, nine, I guess time of possession was 19 minutes 
to around 11, I think, in the second half. Let me put it this way. If you would have told me all of these stats that we're naming and said ETSU is going to lose this game, I would have told you that's impossible. You are crazy. There's no possible way. Yeah, you can book 205 yards rushing from your top two tailbacks. You're going to get seven catches, 143 uh, from Huzzy. Not going to turn three, the ball over. Three touchdowns. Except uh, yeah, for the chance. That's right. That's right before halftime. They had that. But you, you look at the three touchdown passes from Mitchell, right? You, you look at uh, time of possession. You look at third downs. Even look at red zone. You look at all kinds of statistical. I mean, it and double that. You give you all those stats, and you say, "Oh, by the way, you're missing like five defensive players." <laughs> Just all right. Let's hear from Randy. I need a break. Over the last seventy years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Sandos and the sidekick here, breaking down Coach Sanders' post-game comments with us on the Buccaneer Sports Network on the game against the Citadel. I thought they um, played well. I, you know, Coach McCutcheon does a phenomenal job getting those guys ready. And they know what to do. Today, they really accepted the challenge. I, I, don't, I don't think they were uh, – not that they played badly last week, but I don't think they felt like they had played up to their level last week. And I, I felt like they took the challenge this week, really wanted to come back and respond. And did a great job. And Quay, I thought Quay ran well. Jacob, man, he was so close. He's, he's just a little out of control. Fall, it slips and falls way too much for a, for a really good back. And he did it, I don't know, two or three times a day. It looked like he was getting ready to really come out of there, pop out of there. I thought team played really, really well. There's there's always things to clean up, to improve. You know, we had a couple of penalties that were critical. Quarterback had one play in the first half. We had a couple of guys that could have hit that we didn't hit. We ended up punting. I think we only really had one ball we should have caught that we didn't today. For the most part, we caught the ball pretty well. Kick it off twice out of bounds again. It's amazing. Every time we kick a ball off out of bounds, the other team scores. I, I don't know why we can't figure that out. Special teams, other than that, we're pretty good. We, we had the one uh, kickoff return where we get tackled and, and get a holding call. But other than that, kickoff return was pretty good. I thought our kickoff coverage for the most part was good. Did their job, punt return. We actually got uh, Magoo started for a couple times and and was able to do a few things. One play here, one play there. That's kind of the story of our season right now, and it's um, really getting tired because it, it, it's happening every week. I'm with him on that sentiment. Did, did he listen to our show before he did that? Okay, he covered everything we did. So he's feeling the same thing we are. The non-catch by Keith Coffey. Got to have it, right? It looked like almost, it was weird. It almost looked like it didn't even touch his hand. It almost like, even though his helmet appears to be turned that way, it's almost like, he was shocked the ball got there. I, I don't know. It's very odd reaction. And then it goes between his hands where if it touched his hands, it, it glanced it. And he would have, if not scored, I mean, that was around the 15-yard line. I mean, he's w- either walking into the end zone. because Oh, he would have scored. Uh, that was perfectly or, in stride. I mean, uh, very close at the at the worst. 
Yeah, one of the best balls probably Trey's thrown. Great throw. And to just have it drop. I mean, that was a killer. But I thought the offensive line, just the the willpower and just the we're going to man up on you no matter what Citadel throws. I mean, think about this. It was zero sacks. The only negative play was that read option with Thrasher on, I think it was second and goal. And it was a loss of about a half yard, maybe a full yard. But that was it. And, and no reason that happens because Citadel ran the boundary side corner on a blitz and so kind of ran right into the play. But that's the only time. Think about that. No sacks and no negative rushes except for that one. Everything else positive. The Bucks were averaging 160 yards per game on the ground. They go 224, and they're only five yards short of a triple option team in Citadel that was averaging 265 per game. So you hold them 36 yards under their average on the defensive side of the ball. And I'm still on this because, again, if you would have said these type of things and we would have lost, I said there would have been no way. We talked about Nakem Joku, who was averaging 8.3 yards per carry. Their big play guy, quote-unquote, in the run game. Two carries, six yards. Did have a touchdown, but, I mean, essentially at that point, that could have been anybody. And Clay Harris, their feature back, their A-back, quote-unquote, or is that their B-back? The B-back. The B-back, and the A's are the slots. So their B-back, 12 carries, 28 yards. I just cannot they believe did a, And normally that's who kills you a lot is the fullback. You know, there's always one or two times somebody just, you know, because early on you take the dive away, right? You're supposed to take the dive away, then the quarterback, then the pitch. And after a while there, there's a lineman gets unblocked and thinks, you know what, I'm going to hit the quarterback this time. And the quarterback sees it coming, hands it off fullback. Nobody's got fullback. Everybody's going somewhere else. And then and then the on B-back goes for like 30 yards from everybody catches them. And, and it happens all the time. I've watched, watched several Citadel games this year where it's happened amongst other option teams. But it's just – it's, it's just interesting to see how the game played out and ETSU not able to uh, to get in Coach Sanders pretty honest in all those clips. And it seems like, and I don't know a lot about running, but it always seems like Jacob Sailors is cutting with his inside foot a lot, and that causes like him to slip. And, yeah, right. Yeah, I don't know. It's, you it's almost very like the side of your foot or right, the and, you know, normally your foot just kind of pl- slips. Yeah, instead of planning, you know, kind of to the left to go right and right to go left, it's almost like he's playing with his inside right foot, and then he just – it, it just, it's almost like a a, a, a dog, you know, like a, like a little puppy starting to run and the back legs just get going faster in the front and they flip over. It's almost what it looks like. Brandon Rainey was fifth in the league in rushing and he was held to 40 yards. I mean, 44 yards under his average per game. I just, I can't get and, over it. And he, I took can't a, get over. he took a shot from Mark Smith too, by the I way. I can't get over it. There were some awfully big ones. Obviously, we got a penalty right there that was pretty critical that hurt us uh, that next to last possession. We, we have a chance to make a catch and change the game a little bit. We, we don't make a catch. They hit the long pass on us. But honestly, I thought the interception right before half was critical. We get the return out to about midfield. We call a play, get the exact coverage I was expecting, and they played it exactly like I expected, and we throw it to the free safety. I, I was really disappointed in that one. That one was uh, – I thought was big. If we if we could have got points right there right before halftime, I thought that could be a, a huge momentum. And, and when we threw the interception and give it back to them, uh, I thought we really lost an opportunity right there. And that is why we have not talked about it until now, because that bite was coming. But Chance Thrasher, I did not expect to see at all, maybe the rest of the year. And then all of a sudden, there he is. And you have to say he did a pretty good job leading the team down the field and getting that field goal to make it. I believe that was the field goal to make it 13-7. to And granted, he only had one completion, quote-unquote, on that drive, and it was a simple little touch pass. It wasn't like wind-and-fire type 
uh, old school quarterback throw and connect with someone. And then the only wind and fire, let it fly throw he has after a big kick return by Quay Holmes out to midfield. It looked like it could be a momentum changing type episode where it was 13 to 10 and you get the ball with, I can't remember how many seconds there were left, but it was right around a minute, a little bit under a minute. Put a completion or two together, at least getting Tyler Keltner's field goal range. J.J. German on Twitter the other day said, Tyler Keltner is the best kicker in the SoCon right now. And I don't think he's far off uh, if he isn't number one. So that was a huge moment and just very surprised that that was not Tyler Idell in that situation. Or, yeah. or well, obviously Trey Mitchell. And, and Thrasher's, it was uh, minute 50. Uh, minute 50. Right, when, even better. When that play happened, right? So you had even more time. The disappointing thing there, too, Again, I went back and did watch the game today. I went to Sunday. Normally I do, but I did today. And he took the snap and stared the entire way. And, again, watching it, I remember Matt Wilson, the color analyst, saying ah, it looked, looked like he stared him down and went back and looked at it. I mean, it, it was because, you know, the, the TV camera for the most part just stays on the quarterback. I mean, you, he was looking that direction the whole way. Um, but on top of that, I think he could have threw the ball sooner and probably still would have had a completion. That was, that was just, again, another disappointing thing because you're looking at trying to get points on the board already up 13-10, and you would have answered, again, Citadel score. Um, any tissue would score, again, before the Citadel would. But still, you're talking about, you know, if you get a touchdown, two-possession game. If not, you get six. And, you know, how big would three points be? Well, late in the game, you know, you only need a field goal down there instead of a, a touchdown with trying to throw in the end zone. So a lot of, a lot of different things, but that was the only turnover of the game, and that was, uh, that was, that was it for Thrashers. He saw a, a possession and a play. Yeah, and you could hear Coach Sanders at halftime when he spoke with Robert Harper down the sidelines on a radio broadcast. That was what he pointed out right away. Just I think he said a downright stupid decision or horrible decision or something along those lines. So you could tell that you're probably not going to see Thrasher the rest of the day. I think every team we've played this year has had their game circled on the calendar or on the schedule, and that's what you want. That that's what If you're not a big game to the opponent, they're not taking you serious. Last year, I don't know that we were necessarily a big game for our opponents. This year, I think we are a big game for our opponents. I tried to tell the team that uh, starting in January, guys. It's different. I promise you, it's different. Citadel, if the best I can, they didn't have a turnover, did they? Did not have a turnover and, and very few penalties, you know. So you can tell when teams are really honed in, focused, and ready to play when they're not turning the ball over and not getting penalties. We got to create turnovers, and, and we had the ball on the ground a couple of times with chances to get to them, but weren't able to. It's a hard deal when you have one turnover and you lose the turnover game for a game like this. And then, where are we at? I guess uh, 12 turnovers now for the year or something like that. We are 12 turnovers for the year. 13. More than I want. That's not an exorbitantly high number by any means. And it, it's tough to be negative in that area when, uh, when that's all you have. So, th- think about this too 13 turnovers. 14 points off turnovers. Well, and I was just about to say, that was a turnover, yes. But once again, Citadel cannot take advantage. Now, here's the one caveat. In addition to thinking about one side of the ball and, oh, the defense isn't allowing points off turnovers, I suppose you do have to think about the chance at points lost offensively for the team turning the ball over. So at the 50-yard line, if that's just an incomplete pass, like you said, it's a buck 50. Well, it's at least clock. 13 opportunities lost. <laughs> well, well, but, I, but <laughs> no, I'm right, just specifically yeah. saying in that situation, like, that yeah, was, and, and, I think, nine times out of ten, a drive that you score on. Right, and it's different if, you know. If or at least have a chance to. If goal. it's third, I used to talk to Mike you know, Keenan about this. He's like, you know what, third and 15, 
I, I love calling a, a go route, you know, 40, 45-yard pass down the field. Somebody intercepts it, more than likely they're going to be tackled right where that, just like a punt, you know, but maybe we get a pass interference, maybe we get a completion. Right. He's saying you accept those. The problem is there's a lot of turnovers on first down for ETSU. Most coaches I have heard, like, you know, obviously he's never going to turn the football over, but third down, if you're trying to make a play, even Coach Sanders has said this, you know. Calculated I, risk. I, I'm okay with that. You know, I, we'd like to make it more down the field and obviously not fumble a snap or something on third down, but you don't mind those. But the first down turnovers, and ETSU's about, if I'm not mistaken, it's, it's I think it's about half, six or seven of the, the turnovers have been on first down. And so that, you know, that that's really where it struggles because you could do so much more if you threw the ball away. You can make, like you said, in completion, did something else with it. Third down, you can sort of kind of live with. Uh, but the first down turnovers would have been really killers. No question. I mean, and in that situation, again, the momentum had kind of swung back to Citadel after that field goal, 13 to 10. And it was kind of hanging in the balance, right? And instead of being able to grasp it back, you go into the locker room with, the thought of at least this was is what I thought you know, played a really good first half only up three instead of being up two scores or at least being up six where it's not just a field goal to tie or they can it's just you know. amazing the margin of error yeah and it's razor thin it seems like and week after week we see it and we saw it again in a completely different way and uh, once again very surprised but almost to the point where like I said earlier you have to sit back and just shake your head with a wry smile on your face or you are going to bang your head against the wall and probably drive your head right through it at some point because there is no explanation for something like this. CTSU is now 1-5 in five and one-score games this year. They were 6-1 and one last year. And I have a sinking feeling, a sinking feeling, that there's another one-score loss coming just to really swiffing the kick to the gut a little bit more and the football just have gods, everything come full circle exactly just the football gods look down and you oh yeah six and one last year one score games that's cute here's a one in six year and some really unexplainable losses and there's been a ton of them this year all right well we'll turn our attention that's every football we are uh we'll talk more football wednesday daniel hooker is going to join us we'll talk a little western carolina with him uh also uh i believe we have heard that we will get coach spears with you for the uh um uh, pre-game show Wednesday, we are going to recap the women's ETSU Vol game. We'll preview also preview game. the men's game. Speaking of the men. We will. We're going to talk men's basketball. Limestone after this time out. Jordan Sanders, sidekick. Come back at it. Jordan Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Send a sidekick back with you on this Monday. Already talked ETSU football. We'll go to the gray iron. By the way, I don't believe I had a football reference in the basketball broadcast, but I did notice in the football broadcast. <laughs> I did At uh, a key moment as well. Uh, I did. I did. Uh, the shot clock uh, made an appearance apparently. Twice. In, yes. Ten and five. Shot yeah. clock at ten. I was like, he's yeah. going to catch it the second time. Shot clock at five. Yeah. I was like, what? Oh, don't no. worry. Do you know who the first guy to crush me about it? Uh, I'm assuming uh, it's Robert Harper. It was not. It was Hellman. Really? Hellman got me. I knew it would be someone on the crew. 
bunch of jerks working on this. Crew. <laughs> well, I'll play my play, guys. It's all right. You too. So, and uh, but um, I never crush you. I, I did, and, and I did not. Like sometimes they say, it and I'm like, yeah, you know, I knew it or whatever. That I did not. I did not have any recollection of that either time. Who is Bobby Rainey? You don't know who Bobby Rainey is? Am I forgetting who it is? Should I know? I know who Brandon Rainey is, the Citadel <laughs> quarterback, but I, I I couldn't remember Bobby Rainey was someone I had heard of or not, or maybe it's someone you know. Because Bobby Rainey <laughs> snuck in there a couple times, not only in the I podcast like last week, but I mean, also... We don't like Bobby? Who's Bobby Rainey? I don't know. Let's, <laughs> yeah. let's look so it up you don't right know now. anyone Bobby, Bobby Rainey. Bobby Rainey is a former NFL uh, oh, running back. he was for the Giants, wasn't he? Yeah, amongst oh. other teams. Oh, the, That's who the was, Bucks. the Giants, the, the Browns. Bucks. But here's the other oh. thing. I saw him play when he was at Western Kentucky. So there you go. There you go. There's a couple times. And I thought that he yeah. sounded and, and, kind of and, and it was around that time. Uh, I was still saying, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's what I was looking at right here. Yep. Saw him play in college. And, of course, he was probably on my fantasy team in some form or fashion. He was on Which I'm really my, good at fantasy this year, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, in one league you are. Uh, oh, that's fair. I thought I remembered. And then when it was yep. the Oh, Bobby Rainey. Like, ah, I'm pretty sure it's Brandon Rainey. Well, listen, a couple times. if they play for an opposing team, you know I'm not afraid to forget who they are. That's true. Alonzo <laughs> Francois. Is that not his name? Uh, I love Isaiah Tisdale. Let me just say that off the top of our conversation about ETSU men's basketball. I said it last year at the outset of the year. I said it all season last year, even when he was kind of invisible at points offensively. Still just a grinder defensively. Still can dish out assists, does a little bit of everything, and in the case of Isaiah Tisdale on Friday night, did a lot of everything against Limestone in that exhibition win. 24 minutes, 20 points, 8 of 13 from the field, 4 rebounds, 3 assists, 4 steals, 2 blocks. And he's not even one of the four the that tone. were all conference Set the tone. in the preseason it, for the Bucs. It it's was, incredible. It was interesting. He, oh, that was interesting. Coach said that in January, not January, in July, sorry, I'm switching sports here, July, offseason that he had said to coach Forbes I want to be the best defender on the team like I recognize I'm not the best defender on the team I want to be that guy and you could just see it just hounding uh limestone left and right at different positions and and the big thing was was just calling his shots at one point like hey I'm gonna if you you spin this way I'm gonna take the ball from you and sure enough the guy tried to and he took the ball from him and he's like yeah I told you so I mean it's like it was amazing to see the other thing was his aggressive and I think that's what ETSU was missing last year I know I've harped on that some and people have said well maybe not I think they didn't have enough guys occasionally like they were so content with either takeover guy right well just go to the rim it changes Mm. things they would have guys and I know they did not have takeover guy last year either but either throw it in the post they do something or you hit a three. There was nobody sort of slashing, driving to either get to the rim and get a layup or an and one, or better yet, a dump off to somebody else who's open. And it's not like they're not devoid of guys that can do that. Oh, exactly. Now, I think some were uh, – I think Trey Boyd's gotten better at it over time. You know, Patrick Good last year really just couldn't. And, and that's not his game specifically, but he's a guy that can still drive to the baseline and then a little bailout pass, you know, uh, to the opposite corner where somebody can open for a three. We've seen that before. Davian Williamson ought to be a guy that, that ought to be able to do that. When Bonnie Patterson's out there, he's going to be a guy that can do it. Bo Hodges certainly should be the best guy on the team at getting to it, as athletic as he is. But Tisdale being so strong, I think that's what helps, is he's strong with the basketball. You know, he can take contact, three different and one plays converted all of those the free throw shooting by far the best we've seen in quite some time for ETSU but and it was interesting that it was the offense that got the defense going as opposed to the the other way around I just really enjoyed 
seeing Isaiah Tisdale take matters into his own hands. Like, it was a tight game at half. I mean, let, let's be honest. I mean, it was by no means over. At one point, it was 30-25. to 25. You know, at the half, it was a seven-point game. And then Tisdale goes paint, 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 eight points, two and ones in that same span. And all of a sudden, it's a 13-point game. And then everything starts going down. Trey Boyd hits a couple of threes. And you had Joe Hughley get down the action a little bit. Um, and we'll hear about Hughley in a second because I do have a couple of bites from head coach Steve Forbes from after that contest. But really, that was pretty much it. Didn't love how the game finished, obviously. It got down to 18 points. And granted, the result had already been Yeah, and, it, and exhibition games. Are, yeah, so, eh. so it wasn't. You'd like to see him play all 40, especially when it's the only exhibition that you do have. But uh, at that point, I think it had uh, gone like 26 or 27 uh, at some point during the game. But, yeah, uh, everything was working, uh, especially in the first 10 or 15 minutes of that second half. And as you said, defensive side, offensive side, I'm honestly surprised that there were only 11 steals. And Isaiah Tisdale only had four of them. I just must remember all of them because it felt like a lot more. It did feel like a lot more. But he created a lot, too. And sometimes yeah. you get those weird deflections and – you know, if you created the deflection, led to steal, I think Bob Booker's supposed to get it, but sometimes I get it. It's, it's fast and furious for, for guys, and I've never been a stat caller in my life. So it, some of those things happen very quickly when the Bucks went full court press, too. He just did a lot of things to create turnovers as well. There were times that somebody threw a bad pass out of bounds because he was hounding the guy that was throwing the pass that doesn't count. Uh, as a steal or anything it's just a turnover right. but there's certain things he did help out that certain and, and took the ball out of people's hands like instead of who we want to have the ball in the hand they would throw it to somebody else and that changes things that you don't get credit for in the stat sheet as well either exactly what i was about to say on the turnover point maybe only 11 steals but 27 turnovers from limestone here's head coach steve Forbes post game well joe had 11 points in 10 minutes uh played well he just defensively he's got to get better but i'm not going to speculate what's wrong with joe I, I don't know i know he's in a lot of pain and He'll go to the um, – we'll get some x-rays here in a little bit and see where we're at. Hopefully it's, it's not too bad, but I'm sure uh, he's going to be out for a while. He's in a lot of pain. I hate to see that, but, I mean, some other people are going to have to step up, and it's good to have depth. But we need Joe. I think he showed tonight why I really like him because he can stretch the floor. He can really shoot that three that from that four position, and we, we need that. For those people that did not see the game, can you describe the injury? It just sounded like his leg kind of got folded up on in one of those ugly wrong direction type hyperextensions. He was trying to, uh, and again, it's kind of funny. He's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to take a charge. And as the charge, um, as there was contact, now he was called for a block, but he was trying to take a charge. As the, uh, I can't remember who was driving for Lompson at the time, kind of landed and hit uh, the right knee and kind of pushed backwards. Um, and, you know, and I, again, I don't want to say hyperextension because I don't want to, I'm not giving a diagnosis. I don't really know. But because he was trying to take a charge and the way it was hit, then the player kind of landed on that leg, too. So it just added a little stress. The x rays were negative, but that doesn't tell you if you're looking for any ligament, this, that, and other, their MRIs. And I know this is Monday when we record the podcast. He was scheduled for an MRI today, should be read. Um, if nothing else, uh, no later than tomorrow, Tuesday. So they should have more information on Joe. They seem to be optimistic uh, talking Saturday with um, the team doctors and trainers and all that, but they, they still said, hey, with those until you get the MRI back, you really, really don't know, but they were very optimistic as opposed to what they were at the end of the game. Well, and he was very optimistic as well. He said on Twitter right after the injury, maybe an hour or two after, just a little setback, got to stay positive, smile through it all. So 
that to me is a good sign. Now, like you said, if it's a guy being overly optimistic and it turns out to go the opposite way, obviously we can't read a ton into that Twitter comment, but it's good to see that at least he's keeping a positive attitude. Really liked how he looked, though. I thought it was – I mean, again, he was instant offense, and the shot is pure. I mean, you sit there and watch the uh, – even in uh, pregame warm-ups, uh, Bruce Trambarger was talking to me. We were just sitting there kind of watching, and he was like, yeah, I've only seen a little bit of practice. He goes, but I really like the way that Joe Hughley shoots the ball. So it, it just looks like a, a pure shot. You know, sometimes you get big guys, and they figure out how to shoot threes, but it, it doesn't look like a shot. And it, And so Joe definitely – had worked on his game. It was a part of his game. And both, uh, you know, shots wide open, top of the key. I'm sure you'll take that all the time. And, of course, he went two for two. So you're probably going to give him a longer leash. But he didn't have any issue shooting or scoring the basketball. And, you know, again, he played in the Northeast League. That um, He had 12 and 8, I think it was, as, as junior. But he had over 75 threes in two years and over 82% free throw shooter. And you're talking about, I think he had 187 attempts in two years to get to that number. That's a pretty solid number in sample size, right? I mean, he hit 75 three. I think he hit 44 threes the, the first year and like 32 or 31 threes last season. So uh, he has he proven at the Division One level that he can shoot not just threes, but if he gets the ball inside. And that's really my only critique of the game besides the finish. And we could, you know, I wasn't that upset. I would like to see it, but I wasn't that upset about it. But the first half there were at least eight layups again and that was a problem last year they get to the rim your foot or two away and a lot of times it wasn't really like contact down inside where they're just letting guys you know let the bodies bang and all that going on it was really you know kind of unforced layup misses I, I thought by etsu they should at least finish six of those eight if not more couple other standouts. Davian Williamson, 11 points eight assists no turnovers which I know you were a big fan of Vonnie Patterson Seven points, five rebounds, three assists, and Coach Forbes laid out the next couple of days for the Bucks, starting with Sunday. Well, we'll take tomorrow off and let the guys enjoy uh, homecoming, rehab, and you know, get in that training room. And then Sunday, we'll have study hall in the afternoon after the kids want to go to church. We don't ever do anything to interfere with that. And then they go to study hall, and then they'll come back here to Freedom Hall in the afternoon and watch film, and then we'll have a practice, and we'll probably – just shoot the ball, do dummy offense on Sunday, and then we'll crank it back up on Monday here, and then have another shoot around day before game practice on Tuesday, before the Lady Balls come to play the uh, Lady Bucks, and then we'll play Wednesday. Great transition, talking about the Lady Balls versus quote unquote the Lady Bucks, just the box, but that's fine. Newberry is Wednesday. We'll talk all about that on Wednesday, but ETSU and Tennessee coming tomorrow. And we'll talk about that coming up right after this on Santa's Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. ETSU fans, there is no more entertaining way to spend your Wednesday nights than with the human soundbite reel, Randy Sanders. It's big boy football. The Buccaneer head coach joins Jay Sandos live at Wild Wing Cafe every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. And if you can't make it to downtown Johnson City to have chicken wings and tater tots with coach, you can listen right here on AM640. All fall long, ETSU head football coach Randy Sanders, Wednesday nights. What time is it anyway? 6 p.m. on the Sports Monster. (laughs) 
Santos and the Sidekick final segment, getting you ready for the hoops action on Tuesday. Brittany Zill women's basketball team will open up the 2019-2020 season against the in-state rival Tennessee Lady Vols. Well, before we talk about this year's game, I would like to hear from you, because I wasn't here, what the last game against Tennessee and Johnson City was like. The only other game against Tennessee and Johnson City since 1981. It was in the Dome. There were over 6,000 people there. Your thoughts on that contest and specifically some of the behind-the-scenes things. I heard it was... Oh, now that... that, (laughs) Well, there were so many things going wrong with it. I didn't actually get out courtside to watch any of the game until about the 10-minute mark of the first half. So there were uh, sort of a throwback, right? We're going for nostalgia. Didn't want to play Brooks because obviously, you know... Not big enough. Right. 2,800, 3,000, whatever it is. And and you knew it was going to be more than that. Didn't want to go play and freedom hall um they thought well let's you know let's let's have a throwback we've always joked about the seventh throwback good news is sometimes everything was better in your mind (laughs) like once it's gone and whoo was better everything just trying to get where we used to run espn3 and all that ran it had been cut off because nobody was using it so we had to try to get it back on the scoreboard didn't work properly we couldn't make changes all that now the fans i don't think knew anything i mean it was 6500 people in the stands, and I mean, the atmosphere was great. Uh, you know, the people that that n- normally don't get courtside seats were able to buy courtside seats. They were able to do there. We added some extra courtside seats, I believe, for that game. Um, brought the bleachers back down and all that. So a lot of people that would always nostalgia about the dome was able to come back and and deal with that. But I, I remember just not even being able to to see anything without trying to troubleshoot stuff to about the the 10 minute mark i'm even getting the phone and internet lines that have been cut off um underneath the the football stands and getting those cut back on was was something else and then there was the whole thing of replay like are we gonna have replay we're not we ended up not having a replay but it was one of those situations where i was like i was just praying that no matter what happened it didn't come down to like a last second three-quarter court heave or something and we didn't couldn't go back and review it at all because it just couldn't uh, take out all the wiring at Brooks or Freedom to bring it back in. Now, it did have instant replay when they were in the dome, but, I mean, all that stuff had been taken out and put in elsewhere. heard it was very hot, too. Uh, it was. Uh, the, the the dome's kind of weird, as you know. You, you work here. The, it is uh, weird. When you get in the winter, you almost need to wear shorts, and in the summer, you need an extra jacket on. So it's just uh, it's preset. It's a big old building, and for whatever reason, in the summer, it runs really, really hot. And then the or the summer it runs cold, I should say, and in the winter it runs really, really hot. So that did not come down to a last second heave, by the way. It did not. It was unfortunately for the Bucks, eighty-three to fifty-eight at the time. Tennessee was number thirteen in the country. Diamond to Shield scored twenty-eight. Of course, now we're four years later, or three full seasons, I suppose, removed from that. And the season opening contest, to me, I'm just very excited. Um, Brittany Azell and Kelly Harper. After coaching against each other, they've really been together at every step of the way. They grew up playing against each other because Kelly is from Sparta. Sparta yep. Right. And then you've got Coach Zell from Franklin. That's just two hours apart. And then they played in the SEC against each other when Kelly was at Tennessee and Coach Zell was at Alabama, both very good players. Um, and now, AAU circuit, too. Yeah, AAU circuit as well. So you then go through the coaching ranks, and all of a sudden they're both in the Southern Conference, and you've got about 20 or so years of coaching experience for each after Coach Harper started uh, at Auburn. Auburn, Chattanooga, Western Carolina, NC State, Missouri State, and now UT. First year, last year, that Tennessee has not won 20 games since 1975-76. 
first time since they've been in the SEC that they did not have a 500 or better record. Coach Zell comes in entering her seventh season. Six newcomers. Four of them will be eligible to play tomorrow um, where you've got injuries to a couple of others that are returners that won't be able to play either. So it's going to be a little bit of a short bench for the Bucks. Going to have 11 available. Erica Haynes-Overton and Micah Sheets are going to be two of those. That's a big positive. One area ETSU is going to have to undoubtedly try and make up for is size because everyone in Tennessee's starting lineup is going to be six feet or taller. Tiana Kimbrough is someone that if she can come in off the bench for ETSU at six foot four in her first year with the Bucs as the second tallest player in the entire conference, if she can come in and create a difference and match some of that size and really be a viable option down low to at least take away some of what may be easy buckets for UT. Um, hands are obviously going to be very important, trying to poke the ball free, and ETSU has been one of the best in the Southern Conference over the last half a decade, really, at taking the ball away in that manner. If you can have Erica Haynes-Overton swiping at the ball, creating some turnovers, getting out in the open floor, I think that'll be a big plus. Obviously, Tennessee is going to have from really 1 to uh, 12 on the roster. Some really quality players. ETSU has brought in some real quality themselves. Um, really excited to see what Elise Stafford and Shania Jackson can do. Those are the two returners that we've seen throughout the preseason and we've heard from around the program have really, really improved. And they're not players that played a lot last year. I mean, you look at the stats and Shania had some really fun moments, some really uh, energizing times for the rest of the box. But you look overall and she played 4.6 minutes per game, you know, 82 minutes on the season. At least Stafford played 136 minutes, five minutes per game. So they don't have a lot of experience behind them. They don't have a ton of proven commodities, the Bucks, aside from Erica Haynes-Overton and Micah Sheets and all-freshman point guard Kaya Upton. So it's going to be a feeling-out process, I think, for ETSU. I think that they can be competitive in this game. I think that if things break the right way, um, it's a game that I'm not going to bold predict that they win it, but you heard my bold prediction going into Wednesday uh, that we'll do bold predictions on that they have a chance to score some points and then depending on what happens on the defensive end of the floor depending on how this first year head coach and Kelly Harper uh, her players respond to her with a lack of familiarity there um, you never know on a night like this and it's going to be sold out if not um, darn near sold out if not completely sold out almost 6,000 tickets have been sold and there are still some available but yeah very excited to see this game very excited for the Bucks to be able to take their home floor for a night in front of um, a lot of fans that are going to be there that are probably going to be rooting for some ETSU some Tennessee it's going to be televised if you didn't see that today release that on ETSUbucks.com it'll be on uh, Fox 39 in the Tri-Cities and CBS 8 WVLT in Knoxville so there is uh, a lot of excitement around this game, and I'm not sure I've been more excited to, to call a contest because this is going to be a lot of fun. Should be a great atmosphere, sold-out crowd. I mean, everything that you, you throw into it, a, a, a brand that, that really you could argue started the revolution of women's basketball. I mean, they still – the Tennessee Lady Vols hold weight no matter what. Pat Summit and all that is going to hold water from now until – women's basketball has somehow ceased to exist which will never happen i don't believe but you know they're pretty much credited with all the the things that are right about title nine and women's sports right so it's and around here there's great pride in in that program and uh it's the one time where you see people that that will have a half shirt that's blue and gold and orange and white my argument is hey for one day you can wear the blue and gold you can go back they don't compete very rarely 
I mean, on the gridiron, it's been one time. I mean, you could say volleyball and baseball, softball, they've, they've had more contests versus more one another. Basketball, but, but basketball, so yeah. men's and women, they, they they don't play yearly on a normal basis. They they will play Until every so – Yeah, with well, the women, yeah. sure, they've gone the last four or five years in a row consecutively. But for the most part, they hadn't over, over time. And so it, just interesting to see. My question is – is going to be with Coach uh, Harper and seeing, you know, if you're going to – it's always the old saying with Kentucky. If you're going to get them, you got to get them early, right? they got all these new people that – well, Tennessee returns a lot. It's not necessarily new people that way, but how are they going to go with the philosophy change? How are they going to go with Coach Harper? they want to make a statement? Are they just trying to fill it out? Are they wanting just to survive the game? Are they really trying to do – but you got a player in Renaya Davis who is unbelievable talented on the Cheryl Miller, I think, watch list already to be the top women's basketball player in the country. Say Green is another one. Those two kind of wing uh, ladies, curious to see what ETSU can do against them and to try to slow them down because everything's going to kind of work through them. And I think if they get off to quick starts, could be a long day for, for Coach Zell. But if they can kind of slow them down – Use the energy of the crowd, get a few shots to go, then you, that's all you need is a chance, right? That's all you need is a chance in that game. And so uh, size will always be an issue um, when you play these games. I mean, I, men's side, women's, doesn't matter. Size is always going to be an issue. But, again, there's some other things to neutralize that. Uh, you know, team speed for ETSU should be much improved. Shooting the three is going to be interesting. Uh, now, the line didn't move for the women. It did for the men. So, for the women, it's exactly where it is. But ETSU, I think, is going to have to shoot the ball better from outside in general this season. But certainly, it would help in this contest if they could get a couple of those three balls to drop. Yeah, no question. And Micah Sheets is very capable of doing that. I'm very interested to see how the Bucks try and answer Davis. You know, six foot two, kind of a combo wing player. The most athletic player on the floor for ETSU is obviously going to be Erica Haynes-Overton. She is a lockdown defender. She's the two-time Southern Conference Defensive Player of the Year. Davis put up 20 points and eight rebounds last year. I believe she averaged five and a half assists as well in their uh, in their season overall. Uh, these stats I'm giving you now, the 20 and eight, are from Tennessee's exhibition against Carson Newman. And it was over early. Carson Newman only put up 13 points in the first half. But... Tennessee only scored 70. Now, was it a little bit of packing it in at the end? We were already up so big. I'm sure that there was some of that. But Davis had 20, and Ray Burrell had 15. If you can create some turnovers, hit some threes. Micah Sheets is a very good shooter. Shania Jackson is at six foot one, kind of a stretch four, stretch five. Um, she's working to come along on the offensive end in other ways, but can be a very heady defender also. The Bucks have some solid defenders that have come in, uh, including Gabby Brown, really like her energy on the court. And I also think, obviously, um, controlling your emotions and making sure that you're not intimidated by the moment Obviously, Tennessee, a lot of their players will have already played in front of very big crowds. Now, talking to a couple of Bucks coming up through, uh, whether it be from transfers that have come over from big programs or coming up through the AAU circuit and certain tournaments and things like that, there have been big crowds that ETSU players have played in front of. So it's not completely uncharted territory, but 6,000 people in a full arena on a night that means a ton, I think, to the region not only to ETSU players and the ETSU program, but you look on the other side and University of Tennessee, this is just their fourth coach in the history of the modern-day program with, I think it was Pat Head, Pat Summit, and then Holly Warlick, who, after seven years, relieved of her duties last year, has given away to Kelly Harper. So 
there is a ton that's going to be different about tomorrow night as opposed to every other night. And how do the Bucks adjust to that? How do they answer that call? And how do they make sure that they are in the moment without being blown away by it? Rebounding will be another one. Correct. There's some hustle stats that have to go ETSU's way. And not that rebounds 100% hustle, but they were out-rebounded by 17 a year ago. So if ETSU can limit turnovers, rebounding, shots go down, crowd, energy, everything, first game of the year, you know, this is there's a lot of times you see players that when the biggest stage for them, right, playing the biggest, best competition, step up and make plays, you know, this is the time to, to see that. So I can't wait. Um, I'm going to get everything sort of help set up and all that, and very few times do I get to kind of sit there. I'll be in a media position, but uh, I'll be able to fist pump and, and pull uh, not quite openly as I want to. I don't know. I may go sit in the stands if something goes wrong. Then I can yell and then go, go back and sit. I kind of look forward to that. I don't get to do that except the Southern Conference Tournament. Uh, the first game of, of it, or first two games, I guess, is – I can actually be a fan sitting in the stands and yelling and scream, so I'm kind of looking forward to uh, at some point in time for at least 20 minutes of the game to go sit in the stands and be a fan. Just one more thing on the Bucks side. They have played two closed-door scrimmages against Presbyterian and Gardner-Webb. Handily, they won those contests very handily um, over those two teams, but it's just a different level of competition. You know, They beat Presbyterian by 26, and there are some players that are incoming that put up big games that maybe weren't looking like in practice they would be – ones that would be on the court very often for ETSU. So they got a chance to empty their bench a little bit, play everyone. Gardner-Webb, that was a more competitive game in the first half. And then in the second half, uh, Gardner-Webb stopped hitting their threes. That's kind of how they play. They just huck it from distance and hope for the best. And ETSU kind of took over control then. It's an ETSU team that can flip a game on its head quick. Can they flip this game on its head if it starts going the wrong way? Not something I want to find out. I'm hoping the Bucks are just in it from the start can do all the things that we talked about and stick in it all the way through and then try and pull out a victory at the end. Getting down big early could be a huge detriment to the Wednesday, we'll recap the entire game, ETSU against Tennessee. Lady Vols, we'll talk to Daniel Hooker, talk ETSU football versus Western Carolina. We'll also get you set up for ETSU versus Newberry on the basketball side of things. We'll talk uh, FCS Top 25 and maybe mention that the mid-major College Insider poll dropped with ETSU men's team third. Maybe we'll talk about that as more. Sweet. There you go. Sanders sidekick. That'll do it for today. We'll be back with you on Wednesday again. Talking women's basketball, men's basketball, football. It is crossover season. My crossover's terrible. Luckily, Mike's is good. Sanders sidekick. Buccaneer. Sports Network. See ya.